0: First of all, uh, my name is Isaac. I get the honor to be one of the associate pastors here, just in case I haven't met you. Uh, Or if we met at some point and uh, I don't remember, uh, I kind of have this thing that happened to me a a little bit ago to where I I don't remember all things all the time. So if I ask you your name again and I've already met you, um, I do apologize, um, but I earnestly want to know names. So uh, today we'll be going over Romans 5, one through 11. Um, So I'll have you guys turn there with me. So we will just start off by as we do here at Calvary Chapel, I'll have you guys stand with me as we read the text. So Lord God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you. And I just pray that as we read, that it would be all of you and none of me. And uh, Father, I just pray that the truth of your word would be be known. I pray that each and every heart would be uh, confident in the truth of who you are today. Amen. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All right, you can have a seat. So um, as we jump into to Romans 5.1, um, so... The, the first thing that when we study the Word of God, uh, one of the, the key things that we look for uh, are uh, trigger words, and right? we'll call them. So we see right there at the beginning of five, one. therefore. So if you've ever heard the, the study of the Word of Gone Through of Sonap or any of that kind of stuff, uh, we, we say, what's the therefore, therefore? So the first thing you want to do as a student of the Word, you want to be like, why is Paul saying Therefore. Well, we've been in uh, Romans already. Last week, um, Roger brought Romans four, but it precedes even that. Paul's thought begins um, in Romans 3:21 through 31, uh, about that we cannot be saved by our works, but we're saved by faith, Which leads into Romans 4, which Roger again brought up uh, last week, talking about how, by faith, right through, By grace, through faith, we are saved. And so really laying out in chapter four how Abraham and King David in the Old Testament were also saved by faith and, and it was accounted to them as righteousness. The thing that's important about that of being saved by grace through faith is we are saved from God's judgment, right? Roger brought up last week the big words and the big word is justified. Well, justified, um, being saved from judgment, right? That we, we have right standing before the Lord, uh, that we have Christ's righteousness is on us, that is, that is blanketed over us. It's the big word imputed, right? His imputed righteousness is on us. Not that all of a sudden we have some bragging rights of how cool we are and how awesome we are. It's not us, right? It's Christ covering us that makes us justified before God. Um, a good scripture, a correlating scripture for this is Ephesians 2. 8, 9, and 10. So for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see that grace precedes faith. God gives us the grace to have faith, and then through that faith, We can be justified. We can be saved. The gift is attained by grace through faith. If it was attained by works, then it would be something earned. Pastor Roger talked about that last week of if it was something that we worked for, it'd be a debt that was owed to us. But it's not a debt that's owed to us. It's by God's grace. It's his his gift that is given. How is that grace given? Through faith. So grace through faith, we are saved through the faith in Jesus Christ. Also being a gift, it is something that we can, if it was not a gift and it was something that we earned, then it would be something that could be taken away. But I feel like the text is saying that since it is, it, it is a gift, right, it's not something that can just be taken away from us, but it's a gift that is given by God. Now, some of you might be wondering, uh, in your current status, in your current situation, or either even in other people's situations, what would make us so worthy Of said gift, right? The gift that that God would give us of eternal life by believing in Him. What makes us worthy? Well, as I was studying it, we see it right there in in verse 10 of Ephesians 2:10. If you have your Bibles, you know, mark that down. For we are his workmanship. And because we are his workmanship, he loves us. We see in John 3:16: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him Shall not perish but have everlasting life. So what makes us worthy of that gift? God's love. Plain and simple. It's not something that we've earned. Right? None of us went out and tallied up enough scores to be loved by God. He pours out that love as a gift. The next correlating scripture that we find is 2 Corinthians five, twenty and twenty-one. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Something that I was reading as I was thinking about it, I was going through Philippians 1. uh, And you see that through Philippians 1, it's like 15 through 20, Paul's thought process, uh, he's dealing with some people who are preaching the gospel, um, but they're preaching the gospel in, in efforts to, be negative towards him. And Paul's attitude towards it is like, well, whether they're preaching the gospel to spite me or they're preaching the gospel to represent Christ, Christ is represented. The gospel is preached. So let's go. Um, so, for he made him to known, uh, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As I look at that, it's like Paul is wrapping up the gospel in a nutshell, right? Like, this is the true gospel of Christ, that God made Christ, who knew no sin, to bear sin for us, to take our sin, that we might be forgiven by believing on him. That if we believe, right, we look at Romans ten nine. for all who believe and proclaim with their mouth that Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. So we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ through belief, And remember, that righteousness is not something of our own that we can boast of, that we can be like, yeah, I did it. I got all my gold stars and I'm gonna make it, right? But it's only by Christ's righteousness that he imputes to us. Remember, imputed is covering, right? So he covers us with his righteousness. So the righteousness, again, is the right standing, not our own, but Christ's. So then we move to the second half of verse one. So we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. If now we have peace with God, having been justified, what does that mean then for those who have not been justified? They're enemies of God in their current state. It's just the reality of it. Habakkuk 1.13, I quoted this a couple of weeks ago, and it says, you are a purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. So for those who don't have that imputed righteousness of Christ and their sin is still very much all on display, And they don't have that covering, that filter. Unfortunately, they're enemies of God. And we'll get to this as we further go into Paul's thought in Romans 5. It really displays the true love, the heart of the Father, that even in that state of being enemies to him, he still, out of the love that he has, sent his one and only Son. So through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love it how the Lord seems to um, really coordinate things. Um, when God put First John on my heart, I, I wasn't thinking, man, this is going to line up so good with Romans 5, and it's just going to link up and go together, but the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing, and, and all Scripture is profitable. And so as, we, as I look at this and I say, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Remember, two weeks ago, we found out how we have access to that, the fellowship with the Father. How do we access fellowship to the Father? Through Christ, right? So we see in John 14:6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. So with the truth of the gospel that it it's made available to us to have that fellowship, and through that fellowship, we stand in his grace that he gives. Romans 5:20 says, "Moreover, the law entered the offense; the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord." Grace, grace is that underlying theme—the grace that God has poured out. First John 2:1 says, "My little children." these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now he says may not sin. I explained this to the youth last week. It doesn't say that you will not sin, right? Romans 3.23 says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And until that day that we are glorified and we are made new, most likely we're gonna continue. I ask my students the question, just for today, right? Or maybe the last couple days. Did you tell anyone not the truth? Now, I'm not just saying lie about something big, but did you tell somebody that they looked awesome when maybe they didn't, right? It's that tactfulness, like we want to be kind and compassionate. So we don't, we don't want to point out other people's flaws, right? Especially when we look, look past the plank in our own eye to pe- point out their speck. But at the same time, that's a lie. Did you take anything that didn't belong to you? Anything. Mostly when I'm dealing with kids, I'm like, do you have siblings? You have siblings. Sweet. Did you take anything of theirs that wasn't yours and then you used it for yourself, whether it's an article of clothing or a brush or whatever it may be? Well, if you did, then you're a thief. And unfortunately, we learned last week when Roger was talking, right, if we fulfill the whole law except for that 00001 we're doomed. So if you told anybody that they look good when they didn't, or if you took something that didn't belong to you, you're doomed. That's where the good news comes in because it's not based on our ability to do anything, but by the grace of Christ is what it's laying out here. It's that grace in which we stand. Now, when it talks about standing in that grace, it's talking about like a firm, like cemented, right? Unwavering. You think of a tree uh, that has roots that are just super deep, if you happen to be here a couple of Thursdays ago, uh, when Steve was talking about Psalms 1, he was talking about a tree right, being moved closer to the water and how the roots run down into the system to get to the water. Well, those super deep roots make it sturdy. It stands firm. Not like a tree that has really surfacy roots that just gets blown over, right? James warns about that, right? Don't be tossed to and fro, right? Have your roots driven down deep. Well, by the grace of God, as we pursue him, our, rate, our, our roots go deeper and deeper. So we stand in that grace. That's the kind of stand that it's talking about, that we can stand. Remember, by the grace of God, we can stand in the grace of God through faith and believing in him and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the confidence of the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God but the salvation, salvation through Christ, that's where our hope is, our assured, the kind of hope that one has in, say, a safety harness. Right? You see guys that are up on scaffoldings, super high, are iron workers. And I'm not talking about the, the crazy yahoos that would just walk up on beams and fearless. But most of the smart people who are harnessed in, so in case they fall, they don't plummet to their demise, but they are caught by the safety harness. Or in the same way that one would put confidence in a parachute right that that's that hope it's the hope that this safety device will do its job and and save you and and so when you're putting on that safety device and then you put into action what you're going to do you're you're saying that you're placing your hope in that device that's the hope that it's talking about that we get to rejoice in that assured hope of the glory of Christ 3 and 4 and and not only that but we also glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. <clears throat> so not only do we rejoice in the fact that we are no longer enemies of God, but we also rejoice in the hard, stressful times we face now that we will, <clears throat> that will produce the hope of the glory. Trials are the things that were, were guaranteed, going through hard stuff in life. There's, there's people who are listening online or might be in this room right now who are going through, situations in life that are less than fortunate we'll say and it's not that it's not that our loving god would wish pain on us but the creator knows the creation just like a potter knows that being set in the furnace will draw out the colors it'll draw out the discrepancies or the flaws so the pot has to go through the fire any pot that doesn't go through the fire is not worthy in the same way we, we got to go through hard stuff stressful things pressure in life. And it gauges on all different levels. Right? We all have something that we've gone through or are going through that's hard. I love it that it's not just this thing that Paul is saying of like, yeah, buckle up. It's just going to be hard. End of story. Get over it. Embrace the suck. Move on. But instead, he's like, trials develop perseverance. And perseverance, character. In some translations, it says proven character. And that character produces hope. We see Paul's continued thought in Romans 8:18. 8, it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing <clears throat> with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Just that thought of what we, what we face here that seems so hard, it seems so painful in the moment, <clears throat> pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us as believers. How do we receive that glory? Oh yeah, through the grace of God, through faith. But trials develop perseverance, now I was thinking of this. I was like, "Okay, develops perseverance. What is perseverance? Well, perseverance is continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. perseverance it, it kind of says it in its name. You know, you have to withstand. Right? If you—if you don't persevere through something, it doesn't accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. I was trying to think. I was like, "Is there any other way? Right? Is there any other way? Like, and I—and I." And I Pose this question to you. I, I couldn't find any other way in my research, but is there any other way to develop um, perseverance? But through trials, through hard things, doesn't it doesn't matter if it's you know brain surgery or if it's cancer or it's a loved one dying, or it's just changing your morning schedule. It's something that's abrasive. Trials are not fun. Even James says, "Take joy when you face trials of any kind." And how many of you actually in the moment are like? this is so awesome, man, this is fun going through this. No, it's abrasive, it's irritating, it's frustrating. When we face trials, it's very difficult and hard pressed to be like, God, I praise you in this moment. For the most part, our flesh is like, why would you allow this to happen to me, Lord? What, what the heck, why? This is not fun. We get frustrated, we get irritated, we get angry, we get bitter. But as we allow those trials to sift through the garbage and bring it to the surface, right? As we walk in the light and things are made manifest and become light, we can choose. That's right. You can choose the attitude that you have. Does your situation put you in a place where it'd be so easy like that to be mad and frustrated because there's no, <laughs> there's no reason behind it? It just happened, Right? Bad stuff happens, but when we choose to be thankful to the Lord and trust in him, Romans ten eleven says, all who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame, right? King David says in Psalms one nineteen eleven, write your word on my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. That word is written on my heart, and it's not of my own strength, right? Because left unto myself, I'd be a, a whiny little baby. But by God's ability and his strength, I can press in and say, thank you, Lord, for the trials as it develops the perseverance that I need to form the character. So only through the hard-pressed things do we find that perseverance is developed. And then from that perseverance, we must find that character is formed. I love that not being planned, uh, the Holy Spirit saw it fit uh, that Miss Corwin is going to be talking about developing character in young people today during discipleship hour. We, did, we didn't talk beforehand, so <laughs> I just think it's a, the amazing how the Lord coordinates things. Um, and the, the character, like I said, in some, um, in some translations, it talks about the proven character. So not just character, but proven character, something that is has tested. Right? We, we develop this perseverance through trials, and we gain this perseverance, and then it develops the character. But what good is character when it's not tested? What good is anything if it's not tested? Just, you can't be sure in it. Would you be the one that's like, yes, I want to try the safety harness for the first time from 200 meters. Let's go. No, they're trying it from like three feet <laughs> to make sure that thing will hold your weight. So we want proven character. That's something I pray over my kids. Lord, establish in them a proven character. What is the character? The mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, oh yeah, that person's worth their salt. Well, it goes back to like salt was very valuable at one time as a trading commodity. But what I think of when you hear somebody say they're worth their salt, it's like their character, like who they are as a person. Where do their decisions line up with? You can tell by someone's character the kind of decision that they're going to make. You judge a person's character, and then you put your trust in them because you feel like their character will follow through and they'll make a certain decision. right? I want to line myself up with men that are not flaky, that are not double-minded, but men that are strong and steadfast, that I know that would come alongside me in a minute and go to war with me. And that's the kind of character that we want to develop through the perseverance, right? We, we allow the trials to develop that perseverance. That perseverance develops character in us. What kind of character is that? Well, it's when the rubber meets the road or the stuff hits the fan, how are we going to act, right? Everybody thinks they can fight until they get punched in the face, plain and simple. Then, then what happens? Then what really happens, right? It's that fight or flight mechanism that, that develops inside of us. In the same way, we should be spiritually rooted is what Paul is saying. We should allow the, the trials to develop perseverance and the perseverance to develop the character so that when we face more trials, which were guaranteed, the character shines through. It's our anchor in Christ. And so as that character develops, it produces a reaction. So even when we're outside of our normal mind, we have a instinct that kicks in place, almost like an animal's carnal instinct, right? You meet a bear out in the woods and you try to do anything with its cubs, a mama bear will rip you up. But it's that carnal animal instinct. And I'm not saying that we need a carnal animal instinct, but it's that that raw instinct that comes from the character that's developed in us. How are you gonna react to something? Oh, it's based on your character. Are you a wave tossed to and fro? Maybe you need to anchor yourself a bit more in this guy. The true living word. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So that proven character, and that character produces hope. Remember from the verse before, this is that, that assured hope that we talked about with the safety harness. It's the hope of the glory of God. So as we develop the character, the character produces that hope that's in us. Understanding that the trials that we face here pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. That glory is in Christ, everlasting. Knowing that one day when we all will die, because all must die at some point, these physical bodies will go away. But that hope is that we will live on in eternity with Christ. So we jump now to verse five. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. So in John 15, 26, Jesus refers to the helper, the spirit of truth that will testify of Jesus. Roger got me this little baby water. It's really nice. But then I had to get a stand because have you ever seen somebody get off like the tilt-a-whirl at the fair or like the zipper or something like that, and they're kind of doing one of these things. Well, if I reach down to grab a water, I'd look like I just got off the tilt-a-whirl. So didn't want to give you guys a show today, so I, I got to stand. So. so he also um, points out that because of this helper, because of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that he has sent to us, it makes available for Romans 12.2 to be possible. So Paul lays out in Romans 12.2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we prove that will of God? Character, what we're made of. Not just what we say with the lip service, right? It's easy to talk a big game, but then how much harder is it to actually follow it up? But that's that character. That character allows for the the true depth to be there. So the Holy Spirit given to us, we see, and I put up there as reference, so that way you guys can find it on your own or mark it down, but 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So that Holy Spirit poured out in love into our hearts is the assuredness of the glory that awaits. Verse six and seven, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Now, Christ was appointed to die. God knew when he created what was gonna take place. So we see that in due time, you can go back and you can look at the messianic prophecies. And as I was researching, I mean, I didn't look every single one up, but there's 300 plus prophecies that were fulfilled from Christ's birth until his resurrection. That's a lot. It was doing the calculated math of the, you know, one in a million, one in a billion kind of status. And at the end, it just said, fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, only Jesus. Just the reality, it wasn't by accident. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The truth of the matter is God, God knew that we would fail. He knew that Adam and Eve would fail. And unfortunately, through one man, sin entered the world. But then the, the joy of the good news is that through one, one man, Jesus Christ, we can all be saved. Because of God's love, he poured out his grace, which makes faith available that we can believe. And then with verse seven, Paul has given even more weight to the love of God. For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. So just that reality, have you ever thought of like who you would die for? Like really like deep in your bones. I know as a father um, that if you mess with my family, I would give my life. I would do whatever it took. That's the kind of love that I have for my family. And the kind of love that I have for my family pales in comparison to the love that God has for us. I love my family because they're my family. But have you asked yourself, would you die for the drug addict that's standing on the side of the road looking to collect money? Would you die for the, the, the bully, the kid who constantly pestered you all through school, berated you, called you names? Think other higher levels right, of somebody who's offended you or done drastic things. Would you have died for them? Would you die for them? It's it's hard for me to think of. I mean, I would I would I would hope upon hope <laughs> that I would do the right thing, but I don't know in that moment, man. But Christ did. <clears throat> because he views all things the same as as far as sin goes, right? There's darkness and there's light, there's sin. God looked through that. He said, "I love you so much that I'm going to send my one and only son to die in your place." That's the weight that Paul is bringing with verse 7. The weight that our Our God loves us so much that he looked past all our faults, past, present, future, everything. Every hidden thing that you're like, I'll never tell anyone that I did this. I'm so ashamed. God's like, I love you. Just believe in me. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. That's the kind of love that Paul talks about here in verse seven. And we move on and we say, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he doesn't clean us up and then save us. He doesn't say, well, you got to do this, 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 and this, and you get right before. No, right where you're at. If you can hear my voice right now, God loves you right where you're at. Loves you enough to give you the grace to have faith in his son, Christ. To have faith in him. That all you must do is believe in your heart, proclaim with your mouth that Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead and that you will be saved. I tell students all the time it's that easy, but easy is not always simple because it's not just a toss to and fro kind of believe. James says that even the demons believe in one God and they tremble. Last I checked, I don't think there'll be any demons in heaven. So the kind of belief that Paul is talking about in Romans 10 is like a solid belief. It's, it's, it's so deep that it's undeniable. There's so much credit to it that you can't deny it. That's the kind of belief. That's the kind of belief that takes place. And when it takes place, that's the kind of belief that transforms our mind and makes us different, all based on God's grace. And we see that God's grace is put on full display, making the first move toward us while we're still an enemy because of sin. Like we talked about before, if you are not a believer, if you have not given your heart to Christ, If he has not poured out his imputed righteousness upon you, then you're an enemy to God. But the good news is that even while you're an enemy to God, he sent his son to die for you. Much more than having now been justified, there's that big word again, justified, right? Judicially made right before God. By his blood, by Christ's blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Now, as we read this, I wanted to give scope on what Paul is talking about because it's easy just to, just to read the words at their surface and we've all kind of heard the word wrath and oh, okay, you know, the word wrath, what does it really mean? So being saved through the sacrifice of Christ from God's wrath. So a couple of correlating scriptures. So Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So unrighteousness would be the opposite of righteousness. If righteousness is right standing before God, unrighteousness is the opposite of that, right? Good, bad, opposites. Everybody follow? So the wrath of God is poured out on all of those who are unrighteous. Anyone who is not covered in, by that imputed blood of Christ is unrighteous and the wrath will be poured out. Wrath meaning judgment. It's the very thing that Christ's blood saves us from. Zephaniah 1.15 uh, gives kind of a depiction of wrath in that it says, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Again, I say through this, it's a depiction of what wrath is. And it's not that every time you face trouble and distress or devastation or desolation, it doesn't mean that you're suffering God's wrath. The trials and the tribulations that we face, a lot of us could really point that to and be like, hey, this was a day of trouble and distress. This was something that was devastating. But the difference between the two is the trials that we face, we face with Christ our Lord. We're not alone. God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That moment that you choose to believe in Christ, we're not alone. How many of you know it is so much can be so much more peaceful walking through something with someone rather than walking through it by yourself. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So it's the follow-up to the reiteration of the solution to verse one, in that if we're not at peace with God, then we're enemies. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Again, how do we take part in this reconciliation that it talks about. Through belief in the heart, proclaim with the mouth that Christ is Lord. Remember, it's through, by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. So it's not by works that we receive this, but by God's grace. And again, I say, if it's by grace through faith that we receive this gift, it's a gift, it's not earned. If it's a gift, I would say it's not possible to lose said gift, because it's not something that you can unearn. So we've been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Christ's resurrection brings the true power of His sacrifice, in which we are saved through Him. I tell students a lot: anyone can die. Even as we were talking about the, uh, we were talking about the new birth, and there's like the three musts, and one of those musts that must take place is death. All of us are going to die at some point. This, these physical bodies. I don't know about you, but I feel like if I die, I won't be able to go on living, right? But in that way, our Lord and Savior, the one who we have that assured hope in—that hope like a safety device—the God of the universe whoo, always uh, makes up rose, risen, raised, rose from the grave, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's where the power is. Anyone could die. Lots of prophets have died. Christ rose. That's the power that our God holds. That's that blessed assurance that we could have in Christ our Lord. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the price has been paid and we're able to rejoice in fellowship with God through Christ's sacrifice, right? Because of Christ's sacrifice, through our now joined hope and glory and relationship with Christ, it makes the fellowship with the Father available. Through Christ, our advocate, we stand pardoned before the Lord. So this word advocate, we went over it in youth, and I read this dialogue that was written out, and it was Christ being the advocate. He was a lawyer, uh, and the person was on trial was was us. And Christ is like, they're guilty of everything, all of it. They're guilty, all the sin, everything. They're guilty, hundred percent. And so the judge is like, bangs the gavel, he's like, find him guilty and the advocate is like, can I, can I address the stand, judge? And our advocate goes to the judge and he says, they're guilty 100%, but I've already paid their penalty. <clears throat> so then the judge says, okay, it's paid. Right? And the whole time Satan's freaking out. He's like, what? They don't, have, they don't even get a slap on the wrist? He's like, no, it's paid for. It's done. That's the, the truth of it, of having an advocate. If you've ever had someone advocate for you, it gives a, a whole different perspective to how Christ advocates for us. <clears throat> when, I was, uh, when I was in the hospital and they sent me off to rehab and I can't remember all this. Uh, by the grace of God, I can't remember the, a lot of the pain that I went through. Um, <sighs> if it wasn't for my bride <sighs> advocating for me, they would have sent me home to die. They couldn't figure out what was going wrong. And so they're like, well, we'll just send you home. And because my wife advocated for me, she stood up for me when I couldn't stand up for myself. And that's when they sent me to get the second brain surgery. And within a week, it was like the scales fell off my eyes and I was God had started the process of, of fixing me. But if I wouldn't have had my wife advocating for me, <clears throat> I'd be in glory now instead of here. So that Let that resonate when somebody stands up for you when you don't have the ability to stand up for yourself. That's what Christ has done. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us have the ability to get to heaven by works. None are righteous, no, not one. But because of Christ's love, he is our advocate. And we can stand right before the Father because of Christ. I just wanted to leave off with, you know, does that make us perfect? By no means, (laughs) We will all continue to struggle until that day that he calls us home. So where does this leave us? I made some bullet points. So consolidating the thought of Paul here in Romans 5, 1 through 11. All who believe in Christ have been justified by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. And so it's not something that you can be taken, not something that can be pulled away from you. A lot of times people feel this kind of like, well, I have to continue to be a good person in order for my salvation to sustain. No, it's not based on you, it was a gift. The moment that you truly believed in your heart and proclaimed with your mouth that Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Now, Zach will be talking about sanctification next week in chapter six, right? that set apart being made holy, so it's a process. Like I said, none of us are perfect, but uh, all of us, every single person, who has put their confidence in Christ, can be confident that they are justified, that it's a solidified thing, it's cemented. It's not something that you could lose because next week you tell somebody that their hair looks good when really it looks like a mop. So it's a gift, earned so it is not able to be unearned. And then I put down another bullet point, what's next, right? Sanctification. So justification, Right, we are made justified, we are made right before the Lord. Next is sanctification, walking it out, being made holy. And First Peter says, God says, be holy as I am holy. It's that calling to, to better ourselves, to be better each day, make the choice. Each of us has the ability to make the choice each day when we wake. I tell my students, I was like, you wanna see the enemy of your soul? Go look in the mirror in the morning. Galatians 5, Paul lays it out. The spirit and the flesh are constantly warring against each other. But we can make that conscious choice. Do you know how we can make that conscious choice? By grace through faith. Because of God's grace we have that ability, not by anything of ourselves and how good we are. So I want to encourage all of you to read up on Romans 6 to prep for next week. So that way you can come and you can participate, right? Not just be bystanders, right? We're not putting on a baseball game or a football game or a rugby match or something up here for you to be spectators, but you're called to be students of the word, participating in. So read ahead. Read Romans 6. You have, from now until next week, that's seven, what's seven times 24? Anybody? <laughs> lot of hours. <laughs> read ahead. Find out what the therefore is there for. We got enough time. I'll have the worship team come up for one more song. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you and um, just bring the, the the text. I pray that each person um, that's in this room has heard your word, that they would walk away 100%, Father, assured in that hope that is in you. We thank you for the truth of the text. Thank you for the diligence of, of your apostle uh, that, that put the um, Holy Spirit inspiration uh, to letter that we can read and be um, students of today, that we might know what is your perfect will. We give you praise and pray that you would be glorified and we thank you, oh, so thank you, Father, for being our advocate, loving us even in our filthy rags, loving us right where we're at, giving us opportunity through grace, through faith to be followers of you, amen.